Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name is Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you so much for listening to us today. It is our first post-October episode. Uh, how was your October and Halloween, Ben? Uh, pretty good. We had a Halloween party here at Castle Scream Scene, our first in-person Halloween party in two years. Mm -hmm. And that went really well. And people enjoyed themselves. And it was really nice having everyone over here at the castle. No one fell into the moat. Right. No one was eaten by alligators. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I'm kind of tired after October. But you know, the work never ends. (laughs) How are you doing? I am also feeling tired after a very fun weekend. But feeling good almost like um i don't know we could return to some of these horror movies and um fly away <laughs> with uh, the adventure of of horror on the screen mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so quite by accident october sort of became like japanese month yeah um the month in japan yes but we are we are back to the united states we are back to the Fly franchise with the sequel to 1958's The Fly. It's Return of the Fly from 1959, directed by Edward Burns. Can you call it a franchise at this point? Well, now it is. Yeah. Now we got, yeah. We first covered The Fly in episode 204. It's currently ranked at number four. Wow. So a lot for the sequel to live up to. Yeah. Yeah. As we explain in that episode, it's not even an original story then. It was adapting a short story from 1957 by George Langelon uh, and was published in Playboy, which is my fun fact for the day. <laughs> as far as I could tell, the 58 film adapted it fairly closely. Uh, they did take some liberties because it's a visual medium. But the 1958 film uh, is set in Montreal in Quebec. Canada. <laughs> we see that Andre Delambre has been killed in a hydraulic press by his wife Helene. She confesses, but she won't give a motive. Now, Francois, he is Andre's brother. He is here to try to help Helene, like go through the shock and try to figure out like what's going on. And he discovers that she gets like really manic around flies, really like obsessed with them, particularly a white-headed fly that her son Philippe keeps talking about. So when he brings it up to Helene, he kind of insinuates that he knows what's going on, and she tells him the whole story. So then we get a flashback. We see that Andre is working on a disintegrator integrator, aka a transporter, and so far he's sent inanimate objects through, sometimes not quite successfully like they come through but they're reversed or something like that and so he starts sending through live subjects like uh, a guinea pig he sends through the family cat who never reappears but we hear its meow echoing through the film uh, quite spookily and Andre is ready to move on to human subjects 
So it's been. Yeah, that cat never came back, but we're definitely ready for human subjects. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Andre, you know, he hasn't left the lab in a while. So Helene goes to investigate and he uh, has his face covered. He won't see her fully. Um, and he kind of explains through writing that there was a fly incident. He went through the transporter, a fly came along, and now they've swapped some DNA. And they have to find a white-headed fly. So Helene and Philippe are on the hunt for this fly. They do almost catch it, but then it escapes outside. So it seems like Andre is kind of doomed, particularly because, as we learn through the film, the fly and Andre have basically swapped heads, and the fly brain is slowly taking control over Andre. And so because they can't find the fly, Andre and Helene come up with a plan to kill Andre in the hydraulic press to basically hide any evidence. Now, he destroys his lab and his notes and everything to keep this from happening again. And then we flash back to current day, basically. So with this story, the police person, the police inspector who is here, Inspector Sheriff's he is like, okay, well, clearly Helene is insane. This could not have ever happened. Um, so she's going to go to an asylum. And Francois suddenly gets told by Philippe, like, no, I found the fly. He's over here in the garden. So Francois and Inspector Sheris go to see this fly, and it's in a web. And it's screaming, help me, as it gets eaten by a spider. Now... It has like a human head and kind of upper torso. It's quite gruesome. And so Sheris crushes both the fly and the spider with a rock, and they agree to declare Andre's death a suicide. Now, after watching this movie, we loved the fact that it's in full color. Uh, we loved the makeup and the acting from the actor who played Andre as he slowly devolved into more fly behavior. The special effects were really good. We really appreciated the desperation with Helene working through this dark grisly situation. And of course, the ending of help me really kind of, at least for myself speaking personally, like shook me to my core. Like I didn't expect it to because I had seen all these parodies about it, but it really fucked me up. <laughs> However, I remember us both feeling like the film pulled its punches by the end because after they are like, okay, well, we'll say Andre committed suicide. We get a whole other scene where Francois and Philippe and Helene are playing croquet. Uh, Francois is here to take Philippe to the zoo and everything will be fine now. Philippe does go like, well, what's going to happen to dad now? Or like, what, what was dad even doing? And Francois says that, you know, your dad, he was searching for the truth he almost found a great truth, but for one instant, he was careless. The search for the truth is the most important work in the whole world and the most dangerous. Let's go off to the zoo. <laughs> uh, and I remember when we watched the film and we got to that point, I was like, well, okay, that's one thing to tell a kid. And you were like, ah, but you see, the sun returns in the sequel. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that sets up uh, that everything will be fine now. Until this film. Yes. So the original fly picture from executive producer Robert Lippert and producer-director Kurt Newman had been a smash hit, grossing $4 million on a budget of 480000 Naturally, 20th Century Fox wanted a sequel. There were a few stipulations, however. First, 
a lower budget, $275,000. Second, the film would still be in widescreen cinemascope, but not in color like the original. Third, the script had to be written to utilize the existing sets from The Fly. So, Kurt Newman had unfortunately died three weeks after the release of The Fly. Mm. So, to write and direct the sequel, Lippard hired Edward Burns. Born in Chicago in 1905, Burns was an amateur radio operator in high school uh, who was then employed at age 20 at Chicago's WENR as the chief operator. He relocated to Hollywood to become a sound technician in the 1930s, which was like really common for radio technicians uh, at the birth of sound film. And he rose to become Columbia Pictures' top sound man and Frank Capra's sound engineer of choice. As recognition for his efforts, in 1946, he was made a director on the Three Stooges shorts series, And in 1948, he was promoted to the Blondie feature film series. In 1951, he began directing Bowery Boys pictures for Allied Artists. And in 1956, he was accidentally nominated for an Academy Award for the screenplay to the Bowery Boys film called High Society. Why do you say accidentally? The Academy had meant to nominate a Frank Sinatra Bing Crosby musical of the same name. (laughs) Get that nomination any way you can, right? (laughs) He directed a string of genre pictures late in the decade, uh, World Without End in 1956 and Queen of Outer Space starring Zsa Zsa Gabor in 1958, both for allied artists. And then Space Master X7 for Lippert in 1958, followed by Return of the Fly in 1959 and Valley of the Dragons in 1961. Burns retired from directing in 1965. So before he could be on uh, Valley of the Dolls? Yes. Okay. Uh, So he retired in 1965 and he passed away in 2000. Okay. To produce Return of the Fly, Lippert brought on Bernard Glasser, uh, who was another Chicago native. He was born in 1924 and he had been producing Three Stooges shorts since 1951. So he had already worked with Edward Burns. Um, he had also worked with Lippert and Burns before producing Spacemaster X7. And he would retire from the film industry in 1970, passing away in 2014. So as we've already kind of mentioned, the story of Return of the Fly was to center on Philippe, the son of André Delambre, coming back to continue his father's work. And it was also to feature the return of Vincent Price as Francois. Price was coming off of House on Haunted Hill when he was asked to do the sequel to The Fly, which he joked should have been called The Zipper. (laughs) Price insisted on reading the script before agreeing to take part, but found himself impressed with Burns' screenplay and agreed to shoot the film. Unfortunately, as shooting began, Price was disappointed to find that many of his favorite scenes from the script, uh, largely character moments between Francois and Philippe, were cut for time. Ultimately, he was paid $25,000 for his participation in Return of the Fly. Now, can you put that into context with like, what he's normally paid like is that like low because they've cut the budget so much i i think it's his standard rate the more important thing to keep in mind is that means that he was paid his standard rate even though most of his scenes were cut and um it means that like that left then two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the rest of the movie because the budget was 275 yeah yeah 
Originally, actor Herbert Marshall was also meant to return as Inspector Shiraz, but the 69-year-old actor had fallen ill at that time, and so production moved forward by replacing him with John Sutton as a new character. In the original film, Philippe had been played by 10-year-old Charles Herbert, but as this movie was made only a year later, uh, the adult Philippe of the sequel is played by 26-year-old Brett Halsey, which I guess means this movie is set in 1974? Oh my gosh. When was uh, that... Frankenstein 1970 with Boris Karloff. Do you think it's like that same universe? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Born Charles Oliver Hand in 1933 in Santa Ana, California, Brett Halsey was the great nephew of Fleet Admiral William F. Halsey, commander of the Pacific Allied Naval Forces in World War II, whose flagship was the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise. Oh my goodness. As a child, Halsey was a page at CBS before being signed to Universal Pictures and attending that studio's acting school for potential young stars. Where he became a squire and then a knight. Right. Throughout his career, he primarily worked on television in a variety of roles. The cast also includes veteran character actors Dan Seymour and Michael Marks. Seymour appeared as antagonists in films through the 40s and 50s, notably as Captain Raynard in To Have and Have Not, while Michael Marks appeared in a variety of roles throughout Universal's classic horror period, starting with Ludwig, Maria's father in Frankenstein. Whereas in the original film, actor David Hedison appeared both as Andre and in Bill Nye's makeup as The Fly, uh, this time it was like Bill Nye's assistant, Hal Learley, who created the makeup for the monster, and that makeup was worn only by stunt performer Ed Wolf. Wolf stood seven foot four and had appeared in a number of sci-fi horror films over the years. He was one of the mutants in Invaders from Mars, and we actually first saw him way back in 1925's The Phantom of the Opera, where he was the leader of the mob in the finale. Um, I believe he's identified as Joseph Bouquet's brother in some versions of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, So what that means is he was actually like in his 60s or so, maybe a little bit older um, by this point. And, you know, being a giant at seven foot four, like his physical endurance was actually really terrible. Yeah. And they could only really shoot with him under the fly makeup for like a couple of minutes at a time. It was really arduous. Oh, dear. Yeah. The film was shot in February and March of 1959 and was released on July 22nd, 1959 on a double bill with The Alligator People, (laughs) a film that was produced entirely to be the double bill picture for Return of the Fly. Is it horror? Yeah, we'll be watching it next week. Okay. Return of the Fly received poor reviews at the time, but it did all right at the box office, though Lippert would not make another Fly picture for six years. Today, Return of the Fly is available on Blu-ray in the Fly Collection or the Vincent Price Collection Volume 2, both from Scream Factory, and you can also rent it on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. I don't think flies have an incubation period like Chikata's, so I was going to try to make a joke about, like, six years later comes, like, the next entry. Yeah, but no, like, I think I think flies have, like, a, what, like a 24-hour lifespan or something like that? Yeah, once they become fly yeah. form rather than just maggot form. Yeah. 
Um, well, folks, hopefully you can find a copy to watch along with us. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Return of the Fly from 1959, directed by Edward Burns. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. We just finished watching Return of the Fly from 1959, directed by Edward Burns. Sarah, what did you think of this sequel? It was better than I was expecting. Mm. I, to be honest, after hearing kind of what it was about, you know, following the sun and the sun being like, oh, my dad, let's find mm. the notes of Dr. Frank. I mean, Dr. Delambre. Yeah. Uh, I was expecting it to kind of riff off of the many Frankenstein sequels that we have seen. Um, but they managed to not fall fully into that trap. Yeah. Um, that fly trap. <laughs> yeah. I think the movie does a really good job with the very difficult pieces of the puzzle it was given because it was like okay needs to be a sequel to the fly has to be about the son recreating the experiments of the father and then somehow also becoming a fly monster yeah which was like you know a freak accident in the original like i think that's one of the problems with like modeling it after the frankenstein thing was like being a fly monster was not the goal <laughs> so how do you like replicate mm-hmm. that freak accident without it seeming like really stretching? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they did a, a fairly good job. Do you feel that same way? Do you think they, they did all right? Yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about how they navigated that mm-hmm. minefield? When we open, uh, Helene, Philippe's mom, has passed away. It's like 20 years later. Yeah, it's the 70s. It's the 70s. But also still definitely the 50s. (laughs) And reporters are still hounding Philippe and um, his uncle Francois about um, Philippe's father's mysterious death. Now, Philippe is a grown man, and he asks Francois, like, hey, will I get answers please all i know is that dad died and mom was accused but eventually released and so he pushes francois to tell him what happened to his dad francois is like but if i tell you you will be scarred for life and we do get to see a little bit of that scarring because whenever a fly is buzzing about like philippe's never liked flies but now he's like deeply haunted whenever a fly buzzes about so that's a good effect Now, apparently in secret, Philippe has been kind of recreating his father's work, going in his father's footsteps. He's gone to all of these like scientific institutions um, and he's been reading, reading his father's like papers and such. And so he's like, okay, well, I want to try to recreate this like transporter technology um, as like a monument to dad. Francois says that, you know, I can't be involved with this. I saw what it did to your dad. Like, I can't be involved. And that's until Philippe threatens to basically sell his ownership of their company because they own it 50-50. 
And Francois is like, okay, if you're going to destroy the company over this, fine, I'll support you financially and, and back you in this. Now, helping Philippe is a friend that he met at the Delambre company. Uh, his name is Alan Hines. Turns out Alan actually is a man named Ronald Holmes, who is uh, looking to sell this transporter technology to the highest bidder. Apparently, he's on the run from the British uh, for murder. So they're recreating this transporter technology. They do a few tests, and the only hiccup seems to be gigantism, but they seem to figure out like how to make the guinea pig appear normal. Uh, now they are doing a, a hold experiment where they transport the guinea pig, but hold its molecules in the buffer, basically, before fully sending it out. I love that Like we have more vocabulary mm-hmm. to describe these experiments than they have in the movie Absolutely. because of I'm fully pulling from star trek yeah because of like 60 years of star trek yeah so they're going to bring this guinea pig back in the morning but that night alan goes down into the lab to grab some papers and take some photographs to show his buyers that he knows what he's talking about and a british officer confronts him and says, I, I'm here to arrest you and take you back to the UK. They fight. That officer gets killed. And to dispose of the body, Alan puts that officer into the teleporter. When he brings the man back, he comes back with guinea pig paws. And the guinea pig comes back with human hands. Alan's like, oh, and steps and kills that guinea pig. So now there's like some blood on the floor uh, and he grabs the British officer and stuffs him into the trunk of his car and then eventually like run that car off a cliff into the St. Lawrence River. Now Alan has been working with the shady character who runs a uh, mortuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Max. Max's he, mortuary. He looks like Colin Farrell in the Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But he is not the penguin. No. He's got Batman villain vibes. Listen. Yeah, mobster. Yeah. So when Alan returns to the lab after disposing of this uh, guinea pig body, Philippe confronts him and says, like, what's going on? Why, is, why are the papers everywhere? Why is there blood on the floor? What are these handcuffs? So they end up fighting because Alan's now backed into a corner and he ends up putting Philippe into the machine. Now, Alan has seen that Philippe is like, haunted and deathly afraid of these flies so in an act of like meh i don't like you he grabs a fly and tosses it in the transporter with him and then loads him up into the transporter buffer ellen then gets away with all of the uh, blueprints and everything but not before shooting francois who arrives in his fancy car um and gets shot in the belly francois manages to rematerialize philippe and he's the fly. Now the police are here because they heard gunshots and everything. I think Philippe like called them on purpose when he realized that like Alan slash Ronald was like a crook. It's just, you know, they're arriving at the worst possible time. Yeah. They come down into the basement. They see a fly guy shoot at him. And so fly guy escapes and he's on the run. Now Francois he got shot in the stomach so he gets rushed into surgery and when he comes out he says i'm only going to speak to inspector beecham who happened to also be on the case with inspector churras 
Yeah. He was introduced earlier during the funeral scene, but it was not important up until this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, Beecham was there the whole time in the first Fly movie. Don't you remember him? He was just off screen. Yeah. Having fun with all of his friends. Yeah. And so Beecham knows, okay, I have to catch the Fly version of Philippe. With the human head. With the human head and constantly yelling, help me, in a callback. And now they have to wait for either Fly Philippe, uh, like Fly Guy, to either return to the house or be captured by police and hopefully not killed. Meanwhile, cut to Fly Guy, uh, first going to Max, because he, he saw that that's where Alan had been, um, and he <laughs> murders Max um, in a very eerie, spooky Batman-esque way. Uh, I guess Punisher, because Batman doesn't kill. But anyway, sneaking through the shadows. And then when Alan arrives, he kills him too. Bleep, Fly, manages to get back to the house. They, uh, Beecham and Francois manage to get him into the transporter with uh, the Fly version of Philippe. The Philippe version of the fly? I don't know. They're both in the transporter. They go through, and lo and behold, their molecules reintegrate correctly, and uh, Philippe is back together again. Uh, The end. Yeah, so I think um, turning the fly transformation this time around into like a deliberate, sadistic act of sabotage is a pretty good solve for mm-hmm. how to cause the same accident twice. Yeah, I think that plus the revenge of the fly mm. on Max and Alan made this more than just a rehash of the Frankenstein derivatives. Absolutely. And, you know, it differentiates itself from its predecessor because really in the original fly, the focus was on like the Andre fly as like kind of a pathetic tragedy tragedy and like there was a sense that you know as the fly brain was taking over andre fly might become a um a monster you know a threat but here the focus is much more on the idea of like the monster on the loose because philippe fly gets away and is kind of like on the run doing the incredible hulk sad walking away music thing And, you know, you have Philippe Fly out there just, you know, murdering bad guys. They do. uh, Francois has this great line that's like, but if he comes back, will he just be like operating off of the murderous brain of a fly? And like, sir, I don't think of murder and flies together. Flies are more about eating and fucking. Yeah, it's it's really good. Like there is this whole thing of like they reference like in the first movie like the idea of like andre's brain becoming more fly like and then it's like well what if philippe just has a fly brain but yeah this idea that like flies are like aggressive uh like murder (laughs) creatures um is is a little out there but um i do think that brett halsey gives a pretty good performance as philippe until Mm -hmm. he's replaced by ed wolf in the fly costume yeah, I know Ed Wolf is old mm-hmm. and moving about with a big fly head cannot be easy. But boy, were there quite a lot of shots of him running and hitting branches and then having to grab his head to make sure it doesn't fall off. Yeah. And I can't believe that they kept those shots. 
Yeah. Um, you definitely feel the slashed budget. For sure. Yeah. I mean, Vincent Price reportedly felt that it was ridiculous to film this movie in black and white mm-hmm. uh, because he felt that that was like an immediate signal to the audience that this wouldn't be as good as the original. What did you think of, like, we know the black and white's a a budget choice, but what did you think of it? So I think it would have worked better had they leaned more into stark lighting Mm. because of that revenge plot thread, because it felt like they could have leaned into that, like, stark horror, but also film noir element that would have been given with the black and white. So I actually think this movie gets a really good use out of the black and white Mm -hmm. cinematography for that reason. Yeah. Because, um, so Philippe Fly is a little bit different than Andre Fly. Andre Fly's fly head was like the size of his regular head, whereas Philippe Fly's like a Funko Pop. Yeah, because of the gigantism. And he's got not just a fly hand, but a fly like foot as well. So he's really massive and super conspicuous. And you can hear him coming because he's dragging the fly foot along the ground. And yet, because this was shot in black and white, Philippe Fly has gained the inexplicable ability to just like hide in the shadows that I don't think he would have had in color. No, Um, absolutely. So I do think they use the black and white cinematography to their advantage in spots, but I think they could have leaned into it more. Mm-hmm. I like and appreciate what this movie is doing on its own terms. It manages to succeed at some good scares and some grisly moments here and there. Um, I personally was genuinely wigged out by the moment where we see Alan, like the actor actually start to step on the poor mutated guinea pig. Yeah. That was a little bit of much for me. Yeah, I agree. And Um, there's also a really eerie moment. So after Philippe the fly kills Alan, he stuffs him into um, a casket because they're They're at at a mortuary. mortuary. Uh, And then like makes his escape because like a policeman's walking by. Um, And the policeman comes in and he sees like Alan's hand kind of come out of the casket, kind of like Dracula-esque. And Alan's dead, but this is just like his like death shakes as he's, he's kind of mm. still slightly alive and then dead. Um, they did some like good things to try to maintain that horror. I feel like there's no way that it could be as good as the original, not mm-hmm. just because the original is ranked number four on the list, but the heart is missing. I feel like maybe yeah. that's the lack of the the tragic figure here. They've replaced the heart with the revenge kind of monster movie genre. And I think they it works. And I think that they did a fairly good job. And it's definitely still a horror movie. But it doesn't feel like it struck me as, as like emotionally, I guess, as the first one. Yeah, agreed. It's kind of this difficult tightrope that sequels have to walk where you need to be similar enough to the original that you're essentially fulfilling on the promise of what sequels are for which is basically hey you liked thing a you'll like thing b too Mm -hmm. right so you need to be similar to the original but you can't be too similar to the original otherwise you're just like a remake and people will look at you and be like what was the point of this so you need to differentiate yourself a bit 
but if you differentiate yourself too much, you might lose what it was people liked about the original. And I think that's like a, a difficulty here where they couldn't do just the same story again, but because of that, you lose what made that story special. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a lot of other numerous little flaws that weigh the movie down for flies. me. Little <laughs> numerous flies. Um, yeah, the pacing really struck out as like, like, why are we sticking with Max for so long when he's just like wandering around his mortuary before he's even being stalked or anything? Yeah, um, I kept thinking a subplot was going to develop with him and yeah, it never did. Yeah. And the fact that like I knew from the context setting that they kept that but not character moments between Francois and Philippe. I was just like, oh, man, you could have had that heart a mm-hmm. little bit more. Yeah. There's, of course, the continued misunderstanding by Americans of how bilingualism in Canada works. Yes. Um, Montreal here. So in the 1950s, Montreal was like the economic capital of Canada. It had a English minority that kind of controlled the business district and then like a French majority. But in this movie... Um, bilingualism works on class divide and also like Han Solo and Chewbacca where like (laughs) the rich people who we're following in the story all speak English and their servants all speak French and they just speak their own languages to each other, which is definitely not how that works. However, I think for most people watching this movie, the glaring flaw they're going to notice is how much worse the monster makeup is they did an all right job you know i think they did okay uh it has like a little like pulsating thing um but the fact that it's like having to be large means you're going to notice flaws more because the flaws are larger see the thing is is like i don't know if the head is larger because the script says so or if they added the thing about the gigantism because they made the head large The Andre fly in the original movie is kind of, in my opinion, like a masterpiece of late 50s -hmm. special effects makeup. And, you know, it's got all these amazing moving parts and things. You mentioned that, like, this one has a bit of a pulsing mouth thing, but, like... That's it. It really doesn't move that often in shots. Like, the, the, the head doesn't have the dynamism. And because it's so big, the other thing, too, is that Ed Wolf can't, like do the sort of twitchy fly-like movements that uh, David Hedison did in the original fly with the fly head on. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about doing a big head is it's easier. You know, smaller is is harder, right? Yeah. The thing about how big it is is that, like, the proportions make it basically look like Philippe Fly is the mascot for, like, a really gross theme park or something. (laughs) Like, it's, it's mascot head, proportions and it just makes you know you already mentioned all the shots where he's like running and holding his head in place ed wolf never really performs as if it's his face as if like those are his eyes yeah you know and we do not get a compound eye shot of a screaming girl in this movie speaking of the girl Cecile. yeah you didn't even mention her in the plot synopsis which makes sense because she's completely pointless yeah so cecile is our requisite token young woman. She basically exists just to 
have a young woman in the movie. Yeah. She and Philippe are engaged. They've been friends since they were kids. Are they engaged? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that coming up. I just like, so she's the Delambre housekeeper's daughter. Yeah. And (laughs) they have, and the, yeah, they, I picked up that there was romantic interest between the two of them, but it was so completely like chaste and restrained for the majority of the movie. Like he gives her little like kisses on the cheek and it's like, is that like French affection? Is that <laughs> I'm the master of the house and I can do what I want affection? Oh, no. Um, and, you know, she kind of likes him. But you, you, the romantic interest with Philippe is woefully underdeveloped. It's really barely here in the movie. So the end result of that is that she supplies none of the emotional anchoring for the movie that Helene did Mm -hmm. in the original, like the original fly shows how good a horror movie can be with like a loving established relationship at the core. And Cecile gives us none of that. She just sort of exists in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. And the only thing really moving the movie forward is Alan being a criminal. Yes. Being a criminal. Yes. Which was like, challenging i i think it also impacted the way that the pacing was Mm -hmm. i also have a really hard time with inspector beecham just in general like the idea of him that there was this other unseen character who francois and sheras trusted with the secret of this horrible thing that they covered up i think they just should have kept this character sheras and recast him just like, yeah. like, I don't think they needed to make the part a whole different character because they had a different actor. Quite honestly, like, the actor who played Sheras is not Vincent Price. I don't think the audience really would have noticed. Like, I think you could have said this guy is Sheras and people would have been like, okay. And by having it be a different character, you kind of lose the emotional link. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a stronger movie if this was just Sheras. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Well, let's move on to ranking. Yeah. um, Basically, my take on this is that it's a fun time, but it's nowhere near as memorable or haunting as the original, like you said. You already brought up the Frankenstein sequels, uh, which I'm glad you did, because that's kind of where I went for my ranking. Same. So we have Son of Frankenstein ranked above Frankenstein, and Bride of Frankenstein ranked just below. I don't think Return of the Fly is better than The Fly, and I don't think it's nearly as good as The Fly. Um, As much as you're right, I think this does a better job than if this had really been like the Frankenstein sequels and, you know, Philippe had been like, that's right, I want to recreate my father's experiments and on purpose become a fly monster and then (laughs) only become that fly monster in the last five minutes of the movie where I will then smash up the lab. Like it's better than that, but it's not up to the standards of the original. So I looked for the first Frankenstein sequel. That's kind of meh. Yeah. Which is ghost of Frankenstein mm-hmm. down at one forty-eight, which is basically just a speed run of Frankenstein tropes with not the actors you want. I think return of the fly is better than ghost of frankenstein so i made that a floor okay looking up from there i'm in the 140s and i got up to 
number 140, The Mummy's Tomb, which is, I think, still our highest-ranking mummy movie. It's the one where Karis goes to suburban America uh, to hunt down his victims. And I think that is better than Return of the Fly. Um, I think it sort of is a better horror movie. It's a bit more innovative in terms of, like, its relationship with its series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it it's fully a horror movie rather than needing to, like, rely on, like, a industrial corporate espionage <laughs> plot to kind of set things in motion. So um, I made my ceiling 140. So that's kind of the range that I'm looking in. Well, this helps a lot because my range was quite large. Mm. I also had The Ghost of Frankenstein as my floor, but I was looking up as high as 108, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, because mm. that was also, you know, a rehash, but they tried to mix it up and they found the heart again, I think, in that movie a bit more than this one did. Right. So I had a very large range. Yeah, I think that a lot of the movies above 140 are better than Return of the Fly for various reasons. Yeah, you have Dr. X, you have Phantom of the Rue Morgue, Murders in the Rue Morgue, My World Dies Screaming. Like, you have a lot of really good movies above that. So I think looking within 140 to 148, the thing that kind of comes out here is The Haunted Strangler, Mm. which is really interesting to think about because that's like a remake of Fairman Maria, No, it's not. Oh. The Haunted Strangler is the Jekyll Hyde riff where Boris Karloff was the murderer the whole time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And like devoted his, he was going to write a novel about this old school murderer who then starts committing crimes again. And it turns out he was the murderer. Um, so I think that movie is probably better than Return of the Fly because that has a lot of like, like you see torture happening. Mm. It's staged, obviously, but... Also, the idea of, like, it was me the whole time (laughs) um, can really, really get you. But then you have Invaders from Mars. I think this is better than Invaders from Mars, right? Yes, yes. Like, just easily? Easily. Okay. Yeah. I'm good with that. I don't think we need to talk about why this is better than Invaders from Mars. No. Okay. So, (laughs) I'm good with putting it right there, then. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, entering the list at the new number 142... It's Return of the Fly from 1959, directed by Edward Burns. And guess what, Ben? What? That means that we now have 251 films ranked. Wow. We just kind of like blew past 250, huh? It was was that Ghost Cat Marathon, wasn't it? It was that Ghost Cat Marathon, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you would like to know more about that Ghost Cat Marathon... You should check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, where you can find out where three Japanese ghost cat movies did or did not rank on the list. <laughs> uh, if you would like to see the ranked list, you can head to our website, screamscenepodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, and you can help the show out by leaving us a rating or review on the podcasting app of your choice. 
Telling a friend about the show uh, is a great way to help us grow our audience. Uh, Share the show on social media, if you like, uh, or in person or over emails. Um, Write a letter to someone about (laughs) Scream Scene on Fancy Calligraphy. Whatever you can do to help us out, we really appreciate it. As previously mentioned, we have a Patreon where you can help financially support the show. Uh, You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month uh, to help support us and everything we do. But if you sign up at the higher dollar values, uh, you'll get access to a bunch of bonus content, including all of the bonus content we did for October, which was like the Ghost Cat Marathon episode. Sarah did a dramatic reading of a horror short story. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to check out all that stuff and take part in our monthly horror adjacent bonus episode polls, you can do so at patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. So we we kind of teased it already, Mm. but what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching the film that was shot solely to be a B picture to this movie. It stars Lon Chaney Jr. Oh no. It's the alligator people. Okay. Okay. We'll see you later, alligator. In a while, crocodile. (laughs) Bye. Bye.